All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, y'all, this is Unpaid Bill from Team Supreme. We're back with part two of our QLS interview with Chris Robinson. In part one, Chris spoke about growing up in Baltimore and cultivating a career as one of the biggest music video directors of the 1990s and 2000s. He shared some secrets about working with Erica Badu, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, and LL Cool J. He also discussed his new project, Shooting Stars, which covers the upbringing of LeBron James. If you haven't already, please check out that episode. Now here's part two. I want to hear if there's a way that you can give cautionary tales without compromising your position or your relationships and whatnot. Hmm. But this is a theory that I have now at this, at this stage of my life, which is I think when we turn 30 or Mm -hmm. 40, this is when we start to become experts. And I don't think it's more or less that we become experts more than I think in the first 20, 25, 30 years of our life, we take an assessment of, okay, this is pleasurable and this is painful. And so we basically want to just do the greatest hits and just take a compilation of all the pleasurable things and then apply that to it. And then we become experts. Like we know that, you know, if you touch the stove, you're going to get burnt. You know, if you walk across the street without looking both ways, you're going to get hit. So basically, you know, it's a compilation of life lessons. And then that's how you're supposed to proceed on from 40 and above. So for you, are there never again moments for directing in terms of, and I don't mean like I'll never work with this particular person again, but mm-hmm. you already know that like, all right, I can't double book Yeah, that. Like what, like what lessons have you learned that are like never again? That's a crazy question. Open my brain up. Um, mm-hmm. It's wanting the gig so bad that you compromise what your vision is. It is never, ever, 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 ever worked for me. Right. And so you've said yes to an artist before you even have a, a solid creative vision for it. Oh, I've definitely done that. And and that's worked out. That might be a timing thing, right? All right. But what I what I'm talking about is 
like you, you have you take this job, but you have to use this DP, and you have to shoot in this city, or you have to use use this use either use someone or put a patina on it that we want it to be right now commercials are different right because an ad agency works on that for a year before you ever get a phone call so we we understand their vision of what they're looking for but when it comes to something creative anytime i've i've attempted to do it um it 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 didn't work or it wasn't satisfying so my advice would be never compromise your 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 thought for the money you know it just doesn't work i have a i have a dad um thing as i always tell my son i go okay when i was on jv uh i could kick like so we were just in practice and i was kicking booming the ball and the coach mm-hmm. was like robinson you can kick you're a lineman i ain't never seen a lineman kick i go yeah i can kick so he gives me the job i'm kicking off so before that, a coach comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, you're planting your foot all wrong. You got to put your foot closer to the ball so you can get more lift on. So here we go. Our first scrimmage against our high school rival. And I go out. I listen to the coach. I plant my foot where he tells me, and the ball goes straight up and straight down. <laughs> and I get fired. I'm no longer kicking the ball. And that, to me, is the metaphor of when I'm listening. I, I'm in my flow. I know how to do this. I know the people I want to use because it's a it's a business in an art form where you are, you collaborate. Yeah. But then somebody tells you not to do what you What's do. Been working for you, yeah. Working for you, and the reason you called me is right. because this is mm-hmm. what I do, and I've done it a couple times regretfully because the opportunity was so big, and so when they come at you and they go, "Hey, man, this opportunity is big." you're going to do what we say, it's difficult to turn it down, you know? And if you have enough political acumen that you know how to twist it and turn it to still do what you want to do, cool. I really don't have that gift. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm true to whatever that thing is. So I would say never, ever do that. And I know it's a difficult thing, you know, because opportunities are what they are. But I think that for me is the biggest one. Are you the type of director, and I don't mean micromanage in that annoying way, like always over your shoulder looking, but Mm -hmm. for me, I feel like the editing is the most important part of your presentation, Mm. like because editing can be, I know for some would say, well, no, the the story concept is the most important part. And some people would say, no, it's actually the look of it, like the art direction, the lighting. Some people could say the shot's the most important part. For me, I fall in love with the editing. I mean, a lot of, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm working with footage that already exists already. So it's not like I have to shoot all my my content. But in terms of storytelling, do you allow your lighting person, your your lensmen, your editors, do you give them free reign to do what they do? Or are you always over their shoulder from soup to nuts? Like micromanaging what it is like um i i do in that i'm giving everyone the vision i'm going hey this is how i see it before we ever get out there on the playing field and before we ever roll one second of zeros and ones it's not film anymore so i always like to meet 
I like pre-pro. I like setting down. I like looking at references. And I include the editor in that, right? I'll send the treatment. If it was a video, I would send the treatment to the editor before we ever shot, you know? And there were certain guys like Jeff Sellis, amazing dude. And he was like Scorsese's editor to me because I could give him, you know, when we were shooting two videos a week back in the day, Mm -hmm. I had to have trust, you know, to go, all right, here's this. I'm going to shoot this. When I get back, we'll talk. And Jeff, 90% of the time, um, you know, he would, he would hit it, you know? So, but those kind of relationships are few and far between. Right. So in videos, I, I work with like four or five different editors. When you were in the in the the eye of the storm of video making, mm-hmm. how many videos? Well, you said a week. How many videos a month would you book? Mm. <laughs> well, I, I I know this for three years in a row. I hit between forty eight and fifty videos. Wait, uh, uh, wait, uh, say uh, that, uh, wait, uh, wait, 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 say it again. One more time. Yeah. <laughs> for three years in a row. Uh-huh. Right. It is, I know this because I that's when I had left partisan, left HSI, and I had my own company. Um, I did between 50 videos a year to 50, probably like the, the, the year I did the most videos were like 56. So uh, that was doing wow. like video one, week. about a video a week. Yeah. And I had, a, I had three rotating producers who right. only work with me. I had about five rotating editors and my executive producer, Roseanne, which I told you earlier as well, mm-hmm. he really managed all that well. And it was, go ahead, Chris, get on a plane, go. And I would have to show up and do my job. And I, you know, it was such a beautiful uh, time that we, were able to do it and still keep the integrity of the art, right? Because I was big on that too. No and, vacation, you know, no vacation, Christo, in three years. Now, let me tell you, I was upset if people wanted to take a vacation. You I remember, oh. uh, listen. You are the roots. <laughs> <laughs> I had this guy, Michael Lucero. I don't know if you guys know. I know this name, yes. Yeah, Michael Lucero was amazing. He's passed. You know, rest in peace. Michael Lucero did 93 Till Infinity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Video. Yeah. yes. He did Bustin' Dirty. And when I when I first had a company interested in me, which is where I met Roseanne, she was the executive producer of, of his company. It was called What You See Is What You Get. And they were in San Francisco. So I flew out from Baltimore to San Francisco, met them, and the whole nine. Well, he was such a good dude. He was kind of like a, uh, you know, one of these guys who climb mountains and, you know, kind of, kind of that kind of dude. But an amazing director, as, as you can learned, see in that video. Okay. Yeah, learned <laughs> a lot from him. Learned a lot from him. Learned how to write treatments. But such a, such a good man. But he, every year, he would take us on vacation, and if we were going to Mexico. He would take the company on vacation, and the first year I was there, I wasn't really, you know getting a lot of work and I was pissed that they wanted to take a vacation and he wanted to fly me and pay for it, pay for my room. And I did not go. And I was like, who's taking a vacation? We need to work. So I was a little over indexing. I would say <laughs> back then because I wanted it so bad 
and you know, there's great photos that Robin Frank, who was my rep, has sent to me recently, like of that trip that I missed. That you could have so, been. That right. I could have been at. You know, what I, I was sitting at home in Baltimore convention about, you know, not working instead sitting of like, going on vacation. Exactly. exactly. So can you walk me through the process? Um because I'm learning now that in order to be creative, you should really dedicate, or at least for me, what works for me is a lot of silence. Mm. A lot of solace, a lot of silence. I used to be the type of person that that sort of reveled in, in chaos. Right. But yeah. I realized like, oh, like during the pandemic, then every idea came to me and mm. wow. suddenly inspiration came. So, okay, so in the eye of that storm. So, all right, let's let's, let's go to let's go to 2005, okay? Right. Like right. how long do you sit with and I'm I'm going back to videos because I feel like video I feel like videos are harder than movies because you basically have 4 minutes to tell a story and really mm -hmm. knock it out the park. So, what is your process? How long do you sit with a song? Do you sit with a team of people and think of ideas? Do you look at the physical build of the person? Do you do you get to know them and see if they're athletic, if they know how to run, if they know how to drive a car, like what they're in? Walk me through the basic, like how long do you sit with a song before you suddenly see what it is? It it uh, for music videos, man. It is. It was. It's different. It it depends on what the song the song truly inspired me right so a script will inspire you but the song really inspired would inspire me for instance um you know when i heard you know i received noriega song um what 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 what, mm -hmm. what, what, what? Right. so <laughs> super thug i got super thug i wrote that in 20 minutes because i had had this idea about camels in the desert and it had been around for a long time in my head. It was rum rolling around in my head. So I wrote that. And it's funny because my rep was like, this is the quickest treatment you've ever written. Uh, <laughs> are you sure you want me to turn this in? And I was like, yeah, this is it. Because I was a little notorious for sending in a treatment late because of exactly what you're describing, of taking your time. Living with it. Living with it. So when I did, I received um, You Don't Know My Name. From Alicia, mm -hmm. I remember sitting in the house a good one. eight hours mm -hmm. just listening to it. And I kept almost getting it. Then I flew to LA and I had an assistant. Her name was Nia Andrews. She's she's in music. Like her dad was in um he wrote all oh, freak out. Like he's part of that mm -hmm. uh legacy. So we drove around she LA. For eight hours. I remember we went to Malibu. We just were listening to this song on repeat. And then later that night, she called me and she goes, well, what about, you know, and then the idea. So she, it would ping pong back and forth. So there's some things I would do totally solo. There's some things, Jesse Terrero used to be my assistant, mm -hmm. good brother, and one of my best friends. And he would, he may come up with something. Neil Feldman was an assistant minor. I'd give him the outline and do it. But about, I'd, I'd say a good 70% of the time, it was just me 
dipping out. You know, I got a house in Maryland, sitting on the back porch and playing it in the headphones and just vibing. And sometimes that could take me two days, three days. Can I just say, since you mentioned the Alicia Keys video, did did you have everything in your head, even the casting of that video when you were thinking of the concept of You Don't Know My Name? And did most deaf show up on time? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I don't remember. I remember. (laughs) I don't remember. You remember. Yes, you do. (laughs) 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 Listen, he's an artist, brother. He's an artist. Never on schedule, always on time. There you yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, but did you think so in the, in your mind is that did that come out the deck directly way you wanted it, the players and everything or that just came later? It, no, most however mo- I, I really truly can't remember how most became involved. Uh-huh. But Alicia's very um she still is and she was. She lived that whole complete life, right? So mm-hmm. she wasn't just down for some video model you know coming through um, she wasn't down for people up, all up in her mouth kissing her, you know, even no matter yeah. what the concept was, she was very focused on, you know, being authentic, telling the story, but also being respectful in her life mm. versus just just the art. And I don't I I've known most through my boy, Seth Free, another Philly cat. Yes. For a minute. Seth Free. Right? Seth Free. Yes, yes, yes. Seth Free. Shout out to <laughs> Seth Free. And I, I just truly can't remember, but when he came through, I was so happy because I loved the movies he'd been in and he was down. You know, it was not a lot of money involved in it or anything like that. He just came through and represented. And, you know, I still think that video, I should create a movie. Mm-hmm. I love Frank, Frankie and Johnny, Al Pacino. I think it would be so dope to, to, you know, do that. And we shot it Pan Pan in Harlem. And Pan Pan's not there anymore, right? So that brother made the best. I miss Pan Pan's. Yeah, Pan Pan was dope. Oh wait, I miss it, man. So since you mentioned that, Chris, what's another video you feel that way about that you could have just continued on and it could have been a whole like movie? There's a, there's a few. What break you there's off? No, I'm playing. Hey, Chris, did break you off too? It's too many videos. Chris did so many videos. I forgot he did my video. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, wait a minute. I think Chris directed the Roots video, and I just, oh shit. Because when you said the wire, I was like, wait a minute. A couple of wire cats are in my video for Break You. And then. That's right. But we, I, pro- I produced that video. Jesse Ferreira ah. directed that video. So I okay. was there and we did the thing under the bed and the whole joint. But it was, um, yeah. that was dope. I love that video. You know, the era of kind of the big budget videos mm. uh, just mm. kind of pretty much evaporated. Mm. Um, how did you and the other directors, how did y'all transition during that period? Went to movies. <laughs> listen, listen. I, and what was I, that like, man? Kind of seeing that that ecosystem just kind of dwindle. You are, man. It's such a great question. And wh- like, is YouTube it, your Napster? <laughs> oh yeah, Napster is my Napster because <laughs> Napster right. is the reason the video budgets disappeared too. And right. I'll tell you, man. I, once again, I wish I could say I saw it coming, but we did not. And we, I remember, literally, there was um, there was like a week where the bottom dropped out. I think fortunately, I'd already like maybe started working with Kevin on Real Husbands or whatever it was. But you know, my bread and butter, it was chopped at the knees, and it was very much like, 
I, almost thinking it was a joke at first. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, labels would call and go, yeah, we got X. And I'd be like, <laughs> really? Now we're, okay, so what is it really? Because you know who, you know this artist and what they, you know, the budget you're telling me is what they need for their, you know, writer. Right. <laughs> you know, like what right. this, this artist is. So I think, you know, for me, it it was just a, it was just a, a very difficult switch, but I started to understand it. And I actually would call people. I'd call all the people I met over the years and go, like, yo, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Like, I didn't understand the ramifications of Napster and digital and all that Lime stuff. I was, I, I was still going to the record store getting CDs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? See, I, th- I think, well, you know, in, in the music business, many people look at Usher's Confessions as mm. the last album mm. of that mm. era. I mean, it was the last album of it's the last brick and mortar album where it sold 10 million units. Wow. And then, you know, like it came out in 2003 and then the age of ripping and all that stuff really came into play. But right. I also feel like. I have a theory that maybe for the video world, even though it wasn't financially responsible, I kind of feel like the Rock the Boat video mm. really marked an end, even though other opulent videos were made kind of after. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the effect of the Rock the Boat video and kind of what it represented, like just the whole thing with Aaliyah's death, Flying yeah. uh, to other mm. locations, private planes, da da da, big buses, da da da, on a boat, yeah. on a yacht, da da da. I definitely remember a moment where that just kind of paused the whole entire industry for a second. So even mm-hmm. though it wasn't like a direct thing, where it's like, you know, like a nine eleven thing that changes the world, or yeah. a January six thing, like where you can literally see a tangible thing. But I kind of, I always wanted to know, like in the video world was was that a moment that gave you personal pause like like your 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 soul like your soul was like put on pause mm-hmm. and i think we all had been moving at 100 miles an hour for so many years and have had all these relationships and was so deeply entrenched in you know going for excellence that we didn't realize the you know how precious life is right because we 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 so indexed on working. An example is when the pandemic happened, and I was mm-hmm. home for three weeks, and I was tr- bugging out a little bit. I realized that I hadn't been anywhere for more than two weeks for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Right, so I had to stop moving around, and I'm sure you guys went Absolutely. through that same thing. Oh, yeah. And and to your point, you know, when that video happened and all those things happened, there was a real, the party almost stopped, right? There was a, there was a halt in, because we all felt like Aaliyah was our little sister, little cousin, and we loved mm-hmm. her. It was a different kind of a feeling when that happened. And, and, you know, we're all jumping on planes and jumping on private planes and, we're moving, you know, we've been to, I've been to Brazil to shoot and we yes. never really took, um, we never thought about it, about 
safety and what could happen. And I think, look, that's just something that happens in life. And I think it just was business as usual for for us to achieve a great art form. I think we're hype. I think that video is beautiful. And I think, of course, like, you know, you know, Hype himself as an artist wasn't only a music video director. He was like our North Star. And he was tight with these artists and had relationships with these artists in a way where, you know, a Hype Williams video could change your life as yeah. a musical mm-hmm. artist, right? Mm-hmm. And it just felt like all of our business, um, all of our craft had it took a moment to breathe in when that happened. So I, I agree with you, man. It was um it was tragic and um beautiful at the same time. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. 
There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I always wanted to know, if you can name a name, what artist always makes you go back to the drawing board <laughs> and redoes? Like, for me, I, I will say that I was in a situation when I know never to give the song that I want to give Jill Scott or Erica Badu <laughs> as the first song. <laughs> like, I actually create, and sometimes Tariq, like, it's always, it's almost like I have to do a horse and pony show. Like, all right, here's the song, and it's not the song. And then I'll do a second song. All right, all right, I tried hard. Here's the song. And then I'll do the song. I really want to give you, all right, here's the song. They're like, yeah, this is the one. This is the... So is there an artist that always makes you go back to the drawing board to read, I don't like this treatment. I don't like this treatment. Or where you have to explain to them, like, in other words, okay, well, I guess with the Honey video, and you said, Erica, you didn't say she's micromanaging, but, you know, I, I know. <laughs> no, I am not saying she's micromanaging. She is an amazing artist. Yeah, we're going to recreate these classic album covers, which yes. looks good on paper. But Absolutely. what artist mm. like makes you always go back to the drawing board because they just don't see it in the paragraph that you're explaining? But it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge. Yeah, no, no. I or think, an annoying I, challenge. I, I, I immediately know two artists. One is Buster Rhymes. I was going to say that's a good challenge. That's a good challenge. Buster Rhymes is a visual. He, you want to talk about somebody who's paying attention to the visual? I mean, and wants to call you at 2 a.m. because he's on that time as a musician in the studio. You're gone. I don't understand. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand why you didn't pick the phone up at 2 a.m. Like he is, you know, to his credit. I mean, look at, I just, on his tribute, I was looking at the Janet Jackson video mm -hmm. that he did. And that thing is, um, is crazy. Just, it, um, Wuha, everything he does has a visual component to it. So what happens is he, he, he likes the first treatment too. But then you get there and he's in the details. He's going classic, classic Buster Rhymes and Buster. I love you, you my man, and we already know what it is. Classics mm -hmm. only. But <laughs> when we did Pastor Cavassier, mm -hmm. that was um, each setup was a conversation. Like he I, classically, he didn't he Diddy's fight scene. He felt was better than his fight scene, and he wanted to re choreograph the fight mm -hmm. scene to make sure that. It's his video, so I get right. it. So we re-choreographed that, that fight scene in that room. Now, at the time, when the clock is ticking and you're going to go into overtime and you've written the treatment and you've done the costume design and you've uh, got all the martial artists who are going to be in it and you have the moment, that seems like a request that is gonna be tough to create but it doesn't matter because we still did it and when you when you look at that video when i look at that video i go wow we probably had 
65% of that on paper, 65% of that planned. And what Busta will will do is he's not just making arbitrary uh, uh, requests. He's so deep in it that he's pushing you. He's pushing for greater. He's pushing for better. So he's not the guy who just disappears and goes and smokes. He's on the set, sitting in the director's chair, looking at playback. And as you're moving through your day to, as a director, you you know there's certain time things you have to hit. But interestingly enough, I think we did shoot like an extra eight hours <laughs> on that video. So do you already but have overages written in the budget? Do you already have overages written in the budget when you that know? Is, that is what you try to do, right? And then, like, once again, my executive producer, Roseanne Cunningham, that's what you try to do. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you cannot predict some things. Now, the tough conversation that I've seen many times is when the producer goes over to the, you know, music video rep and goes, okay, we're having this, it's this much time, or Chris wants a crane, uh, the crane broke, and we have to bring in another one, whatever that is, the record label has to sign off to say, okay, you know, cost plus, if the if the crane costs you another $10,000, we'll pay for it. And usually that's where the power shifts, right? Mm-hmm. Because the power is because, because we already have a contract. Right. So no matter what happens, I need to do what's on this treatment to fulfill the contract to get paid. Like that's just a reality of the business that is really the only way that you can do it, right? Yeah. You have to make sure that it, it's done. But there's extenuating circumstances that I've seen over the years. But if the artist and the label are like down with you, right? right. You can you can change things a little bit to accomplish the same goal. But you know, I think I think Busta is is um, you know he he understands it early. He understands like okay, this even if this treatment is a we've got to move quickly, so this treatment is a blueprint. We're going to get it where it needs to be once we get there. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I vow to never do this on this podcast. But since you're here, uh-huh. I gotta know the politics of video joins. <laughs> Come on now, got agencies now. There's entire careers and Instagram accounts King. that have made yeah. legends out of the right seven seconds in a video. Is oh, that I know still a thing? Oh, yeah. Is that still a thing? No, y'all think that must that feels like an error. I don't think videos are. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't no more Esther Baxter. You know, I'm saying I'm like I'm thinking right. of like. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, but the, the thing era. is that by this by this era, you know, even video uh, models have just as much leverage as the artists themselves, and. So is there, how do you wrangle, like, and I'm not trying to objectify, like, their product placement, but is it written ahead of time, like, okay, I'll make sure that, you know, when you're wrangling with her manager, whoever it is. Ooh, Gloria Vallis. She was no, a good no, one, too. Like, dude, that, it, when, when Grace was at Jive, like, Grace right, was right. responsible for, like, 
ha- from from Kareen all the way down, like wow. all those videos. So, uh-huh. but but she told me that she was there to wrangle, not only wrangle, but also to protect them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, but I didn't realize that there's like negotiations where this particular artist has a certain cachet and she wants to be featured and da 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 da. Oh, a feature girl just, versus a. Is that just decided or is it random or is it already pre-planned at the gate? Like, okay, we'll make sure that you're the you're the featured and we're not going to feature your rival that you might have beef with in said video. Or is it just like up to the artist who gets in or not? No, listen, in my experience, it's always been this is going to be a boring answer. It's always been like uh, casting on a feature film. Now, okay. you would think like, oh, that's kind of random. You know, you, you, or, or you look at it and you go, that must be random. Where, where'd they get all those girls from a club? No. The answer is there's a casting director, Ulysses Torero, Jesse's brother, is one of the best that ever Wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, at that, in that point, there was an era where those uh, young ladies that were, you know, video vixens or whatever you want to call them, it was a portal. Right. So now you decide, you know, like there's very memorable moments of of different video vixens in videos. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but then it was it's literally a portal. Like think about every actress who does shout outs to Melissa commercials. Ford. Shout outs to Melissa Ford. I mean, you want to talk about the hype Williams of video vixens. Like he was he was dope. Mm-hmm. You know, that Jadakiss video, knock yourself out. Like. She's amazing, but but let's let's talk about her. The portal. Now she is in another part of the business. Now she does podcasts. Now she's she she was you know part of that era with the magazine with um, Daytuan Thomas and Day-Tuan creating. King. Yeah, shout um, out to King. You know what I mean? And then let's talk about Lauren London. The first thing she did was she was Paul Hunter's assistant. Number one, he was in Drop It Like It's Hot which is a music video. She was right. in Pharrell's video. Right. That, that, and, and my assistant at the time, brother named Carl Reed, they were friends. And uh, he goes, Chris, uh, you should you should audition Lauren for ATL. And wow. I said, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Ha- I'm going, I'm not having a video girl. I'm, I'm trying to be a serious filmmaker. But he was like, look, man, you got to just be a good brother, man. You got to give her a shot. She wants to be an actress. And she came in and it's a great story because she came in and she was late. We had packed the film equipment up, right? She she came in and she goes, I got to pee. I got to pee. Can I go to the bathroom? So she delayed us further by having to go to the bathroom. Okay. So I'm just sitting there looking at Carl like, see? Mm -hmm. Okay. And we said action. And I had been looking for Nunu for probably eight to ten weeks. Wow. And it was her. Wow. Was it true in uh, in ATL that a lot of big boys lines did he improv a lot of that or how did how did that work? Because we got it. I I wanted to ask about (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you something. When he said, you didn't do that money in my face. We thought the whole thing was like trying not to let. Big Boy is genius with his his ad libs, and the way wow. Big Boy was moving was, you know, he's Big Boy, he's from Outcast. Mm-hmm. These he, he didn't really understand, you know, 
oh, it's a 6 a.m. call, you have to be there, all these things. And he would come directly from the studio to set. Okay. Not having slept or whatever it was. And every day I'd be worried. Every day he delivered. Every scene, uh, you know, he always added that extra yeah. something that was beyond the script. Yeah, he had a lot of that stuff. And he's, he's a genius. How was it uh, with T.I.? Because that was him. I don't, I don't think that was his first. Was that his first feature? It was. Yeah, it, was yeah. it was. How was it working first with him? acting role. Time after. Yeah. It, it was, it was um, similar in the fact that he wasn't, he, uh, he didn't, he never worked on a set before. Mm. So, um, you know, me and him, I did his very first video. Um, I'm serious. Before, oh, okay. like, he before trap video. music. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so I was always like, man, this kid is dope. And Dallas Austin was like, I think T.I. could really play this role. So Tip would, I think he came in the first day in a Rolls Royce. And he <laughs> came to set, he pulled up for the set with his Rolls Royce. And, um, and then he had a big, like, you know, when it's a movie, it's favorite nation. So every actor has the same kind of a trailer. Mm-hmm. And he had his, he had his own Winnebago. And all the other actors were in like a two bank. So, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to him and I said, brother, you know, you're leading this. Like this is, everybody's looking to you. You are number one on the call sheet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in our other world, in your music world, because he's in the studio every night too, he's super popular. He's becoming the king of the South. Um, I just had a conversation with him and we just got on the same page about work ethic coming in um being the leader because we're all looking to you as the lead in this picture and um you know he i think the hardest part for any artist is not being ti or being tipped to your audience being rashad Mm -hmm. who is in high school a guy who just got out of high school who has got to show vulnerability but i think what we both learned for, for each other, because both of our, you know, you can never do your first movie again, right? right. <laughs> so everything was bet on tip for me. Everything for tip was bet on me. Like, so we both had to, you know, we're going to win the Super Bowl. The quarterback and the receiver better be connected. I'm up, sorry. Yeah. All references. So, um, you know, we, I think we did a good job. I think it's, uh, you know, people still reference it and still love it. And I watched him turn into a superstar. I'm, that's the one human being I watched turn from a really hot commodity into a superstar through that process. That's what's up. Yeah. How did you know that Evan Ross was right for that role? Hmm. He, hmm. Um, you know what? He came, he came in the audition. I didn't know who he was. I met okay. him in Los Angeles and, um, and I didn't know he was Diana Ross's son until we were shooting. Okay. Really good. Good. But um, yeah, I, I just was, Evan has a restaurant out here now. Evan's doing good, man. Evan's growing Does up. He? He What's the name of his restaurant? Leona's. Leona's. Okay, thank you. I'm Leona's. Okay. It's on Ventura. And he has a club called Warwick on Sunset. Been there. Yeah. Didn't, didn't know that was his. See, people yep. would look at Evan Ross and they're like, what is he doing? Besides being married to Ashley Simpson. That's dope. I have one more question about videos. Mm-hmm. 
and be honest about the mind state of directors. I know you're saying I can only speak for myself. Right. But half the time, do you guys already have treatments in your head or stock footage pre-shot already that you're just waiting for the right artist to sell that on? <laughs> no. Like, in other words, is every video a bespoke kind of customized video? I'm only asking this because, you know, I, I had a situation with, I don't know, I don't know if you know who Sanji is. Um, of course. He did yeah. Far Size Pass Me By. Yep. And it's amazing. All, dude, always wanted to work with Sanji. And we finally got our chance to work with him. Uh, on our tipping point record. And my manager was always like, mm-mm, something right here. Like, <laughs> why do I feel like... Hold up. Wait he, a minute. We did uh, the star video. Oh, I was wondering which one. Okay. okay. And Rich is like, why do I feel like he shot this video already and just basically sold us a bit? Because the thing was, we weren't there for it. When you talked about uh, shooting your B shots without the artist first, Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute. That might be a Sanji trick. On which my it's my manager, uh, Rich Nichols, rest in peace. It's his assessment that we got got and basically like he had already shot the video already and mm. sold it to us. And he just shot our shots like at the end for a day or whatever. But like, do you do stock shooting of stuff? you know, like uh, neighborhood shots or just random things that doesn't have a home yet? Is that a thing? Uh, no. I, I Listen, <laughs> in my experience, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I don't you got to go watch this video again, Chris. I think they might have got, yeah. got, Amir might be yeah. right. Look, I, I think they're all, everything is bespoke for every director. One reason is, you know, the label owns everything. So right. when we would finish a video, you would see 2,000 feet of it, but we'd send the whole 20,000 feet of film to the label. So I don't know if they, and that's when we were shooting film, but the label owns everything, period, point blank. But Yeah, but I mean like, right? right. Okay. back in the day, like all my reels go to the label, but now if I turn in a record, right. I'm just turning that record. They're not getting the demos and the stuff that didn't make the record. Right. They're well, supposed look, to. You, I always, uh, here's what's funny. I always talk to my producer and I say, you know what we should do? <laughs> and it's exactly what you said. I said, when we shoot a video, why don't we have this concept? Because let's say this. For every video you shoot, you wrote five, three, there's five videos I didn't get, right? Mm -hmm. I'm battling hype. Benny, I'm, I'm we're all battling each other. So for every video I did, there were five concepts that are sitting on my shelf. I always thought it would be a genius idea to shoot all the components of a video and then put the artist in it. But it, you never really could do it because everything has a certain vibe. Every song mm. has a certain vibe. Like I said, I thought that would be a great great idea and maybe artists would like it where you could go hey here's a video and here's how we would insert you in it i i always wondered that never had the opportunity to do it but 
you I'm should watch this video. Watch it's Scott yes. Because I hate I, Roots videos. I so. just rewatched it. I was like, wait. Really? Yeah. Shut up, like. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, let's talk new edition, please. <laughs> so we wrap up. <laughs> I just wanted to know about new edition as a director. From your vision, first of all, what were the... You have to have these things in place for you to direct this project. You have to have power over this. Like, did you have any of those those moments? For new Wait, can I ask something to your question? Yeah. Uh-huh. Before, Please. All right. You remember yes. how the guy uh, uh, who did the Bel Air thing, like, actually pitched? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, why don't we do a dramatic? And he did, like, a, yeah, a, a sizzle remember. reel or yeah. a, a fake trailer. Mm-hmm. Yes. There was once a fake trailer for the new edition biopic. That was like roaming on you in the early days of YouTube, like back in 2006. Yeah. Did you have anything to do with that? I did not. Did but, you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Okay. And I met, okay. And I, I met the brother. All right. Okay. I met the brother. And let me tell you what else. 
he Uh-oh. showed up on set with Maurice Starr. Oh wow! Oh. Wow! He came. So look, he uh, look. God bless him. That's a Hollywood lesson, man. Like we, are, I've been the same way early in my career. Like, yo, I'm just going to shoot this sizzle, and then they'll know that I, I'm listen, the guy for the I, job. I did it seven, eight years ago. I shot an ATL two trailer. Uh huh. I got everybody together, paid for it. Me and Tip. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing right? it. Yes. Okay. We, yeah. we, we're trying to get. We're trying to, you know, create momentum. So, you know, studio would say, "Hey, man, yeah, we'll make it." You know, it just was. It was, a, it was an effort to, you know, show all those people together again. So, nothing has come of it as of yet. We hope that we can make ATL too. But mm-hmm. um, I do remember that quest, and I met that brother, and he was a young director, and he was really dedicated to wanting to make that happen and you know i didn't have anything to do with it but i I do know that he um he he got so far as he showed up with um maurice star and what did they want no maurice star of course we invited him to set okay okay. to to see to to watch but he was there with them and i actually had a conversation with him his heart must have been so broken oh lord it's it's tough it's it's tough, but that is a that is a Hollywood one oh one lesson that's hard to get. But I think um he's still like he's still pursuing the art. He's still pursuing directing. And and uh I think he's I think look, he it was dope for him to do that, right? He had the love and he just kind of he came up with it and he goes, I'm gonna do this. The fact that he made that happen, and I gotta go back and look at it, but I remember thinking, this is pretty good. You know what I mean? Before I was I, ever involved in any any new edition project. I kind of thought that was the the impetus that allowed this to happen because that mm. thing was so viral that about a year or two later, then it was like, yo, we're really going to make this happen. I thought he was a part of that. So No. You know what? I knew about this project. Jesse Collins produced it. Mm-hmm. So okay. Jesse, Jesse told me about this maybe seven years before we shot it. Okay. Right? He he had the project, obviously, you know, he does BT awards and everything. And so he got with um, them. So you can imagine in order to develop it with all those human beings to do the life rights and to come together, it took that long. So about seven, eight years later, I mean, no, I, mean, I remember the new edition was my first concert, 15 Spectrum, Philadelphia. <laughs> I I went to see New Edition, Lisa Lisa Cult Jam. I think hey. it was a Fresh Fest. And, um, you know, stole the car from my parents, did the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, Wait, you, you can't just casually say that. What? <laughs> what, what? What? Yeah, that, that was my first concert as a kid. Like, I loved New Edition is my point. Did you get away with it? Uh, I did not. We, uh, what was the I punishment? Steal, I didn't steal the car. I took the car when they told me no. And I drove all my cousins Ooh. up there. Worse. We, mm. It's bad. We got the car towed. One of my uncles had to drive from Maryland to Philadelphia to get mm. us. It was silence on the way back. It was worse than Vanessa on the Cosby show. I was no. just thinking about that episode. Literally think about that episode. <laughs> it was we'll explain, bad. Bill and Steve. Go ahead. I watched the Cosby show. Hey. What That's was right. the question Your mom's about Jamaican. 
It was oh shit. What was your question about new edition? Oh, oh, oh uh, did you get away with it? Oh, um, no, did not, <laughs> did not. But when I finally did it, I, I, uh, I made sure my uncle and my dad got to see it, and they were like, okay, it was worth it. You know what I mean? How how long was your initial <laughs> treatment? Because I'm almost certain it was the three parter, right? Three three nights, two hours. I'm almost night. certain that you had enough content. For almost a, an entire week, like your original vision, how long would it right. have been? Well, um, the script—it was the original script was one big script, right? It was like 160 pages. And then Stephen Hill and BT said, "Look, we want this to be like an event. We want this to be three nights." So um, the writer Abdul, who's amazing, we started that process. So, so Jesse told me about it seven years prior. All those seven years, I was like, man, I wish he would, I wish I could do that new edition movie. And then he asked me, would you be interested in doing this? I was like, yes. So, um, it's interesting because I was just, I, this was two, uh, 2015, 16. I just decided to move back to the East Coast. So I had a house out here, the whole thing. We shut the house down. Um, you know, gave up the lease and I was headed to the airport when he called me to say, would you want to do this movie? It's a green light with BT. We start next week. So I had to change everything that I was doing. Stay wow. out of here. And, um, but so then it happened and then we worked for maybe six months before we, um, started shooting. So I think the one of the questions was how did we pull all those actors and whatnot together? And that was um a real casting thing with Robbie Reed. We'd have Robbie Reed, Spike Lee's uh casting agent for years and years. We gotta get her on the show. Yeah, yeah she's amazing. She's amazing. And th- it's just so for each person, like Wood Woody, um, McLean, who's now, you know, doing his uh. thing. Yeah. He's killing him. Yes. He used to be a he used to be a dancer for Chris Brown. What? Wait, 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 oh, wow. wait, wait. He was a dancer for Chris Brown before he had ever acted in anything. So I had called for Tima Robinson to go, hey, do you know anybody who I'm looking for Bobby Brown? And she gave the reco for Woody. Then we saw Woody and Wood was really like he was a dancer, so he wasn't used to acting. He was rather shy, but he could dance his ass off. He could do all the Bobby Brown stuff. And um, we had the conversation, and I just was like, listen, I'm going to bring you back for, like, the third audition. Be bold, brother. Like, He's not an actor. It. He's Believe not an actor. And then he's but, – but look what he's done. Yes. Like, that's yeah. what I always say. Like, you know, that's something that me and Jesse Terrell always said. Like, a lot of times we weren't able to work with the big actors in our career. Like they weren't checking for us as directors. They always looked at us as video directors. So we said, let's make our own star. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad that we, you know, had that, that kind of blockade because it, yeah. it spawned other things. Because he was for, Bobby for a long time to the point where when he got to power, I was like, I don't know, but now he's Kane. He right, is Kane. He did, he did new edition and then he did the Bobby Brown. Bobby Stiller, yeah. 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 He killed it. 
You feel, I feel the same. I guess you must have felt very strongly about Algie in that way, the actor that played Ralph Tresvant, because you've circumvented him back into a couple of projects, right? At least I know he was in Shooting Stars. Yeah. No, listen, it's always a curveball, right? I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see Algie as Ralph Tresvant. Because really? there were there were people that looked exact looked a lot more like Ralph Tresvant. I could see that, and, yeah. And I didn't see it, but then um, Jesse really believed in it, and I was like, okay. And then when he came to the part in the audition where they would sing, Alice can sing, and I was like, I, I mean, listen, I was torn all the way up until we were shooting, and then he just he did it, like he killed it. So even free shooting you weren't you still weren't sure i wasn't sure i wasn't sure because we had let this guy go that i'm talking about if there was a ralph tresvan twin mm-hmm. but I, obviously algae embodied the character mm-hmm. like he had a he had a sensitivity no pun intended <laughs> uh he had a he had he could dance he could sing and even the the tone of his voice was just perfect I need something specific from you, Chris. I'm so sorry. Yes, and as yes. you're telling these stories about this casting, I need you to please tell the story of why you casted Dustin Felder for Jimmy Jam. May he rest in paradise for fucking ever. Like, yes, please, yes. please, 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 please. Listen, Dustin Felder is was just he's he was um our acting coach for the kid for oh, the wow. kids. Right? Yes, yeah. that's what he, he does. Was our acting coach. That's and yeah. his energy was it was just grounded and real, like the exact kind of person that I, the way I wanted to communicate to the boys. And I would, we would have sessions where I would just be in a corner quiet and the way he spoke to them and the way he talked to them about performance and being real, it, you watched them more. Cause these were all guys who were kind of afraid, right? Cause not only is, is this material, material tough, the real guys are visiting right there, the rehearsal. Right. <laughs> like they did the dance, like they Intimidating, came, right. You know what I'm saying? And then what Dustin would do would be amazing. And um, we were looking for like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And I would look at him every day and go, man, you could be Jimmy Jam. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you could do it. And we'd laugh about it. And then one day he wore a fedora. And I go, it's wow, him. Wow. It's him. Let's go. Yes. Justin, and all the, boys, that's, and all the yeah. boys were like campaigning for him too. Like all the all the all the guys who were uh, you know, played new edition, they were campaigning for him too. And it was a natural fit, man. He's really coached some amazing black actors out of LA. Like there's a very a generation of black actors that have a lot to give to him. So and he's yeah, from Philly. And he's absolutely. a Philly man. He's a Philly oh, well, I didn't even know that. That's what's up. Good brother. I heard a rumor that you were were you one of the initial actors that I guess for a long time, both Will Smith and Kevin Hart were going to do Uptown Saturday Night? Did <gasps> I not hear your name tossed Man. in there as a director? I'm glad you're telling me because I heard about that project too. Uh, I think Will Packer was involved in it. And I, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. Favorite movie of all time. And it, it, it a couple years, a few years ago, it was going around Hollywood that that was happening. I haven't seen a script yet, but man. Okay. Yeah. I could have uh, sworn I heard your name mentioned in it. Thank you. Good. Because you might be in some rooms I'm not in. That's a good thing. <laughs> I love oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of scripts, Chris, um, with the writer strike that's going on now, how, um, with you as a director, 
Um, how does that affect you, one? And two, how do you think it affects the future of filmmaking as a whole? Uh, where do you think the game is right now and where do you think it's headed? I, I think we're having a Napster moment. And oh, I yeah. think it's it's completely, people can't imagine what, that the, that the industry would change, right? But, you know, Writer Strike, for instance, right? I still get, ATL was 18 years ago. I still receive residuals right. from it, from that, right? Because the business model was, okay, we saw it in the movies, now we see it on TV, now we see it in the airplane, now we see it in Africa. That's the way TV has always worked. Now it's streaming. So streaming, for us too, for Directors Guild, for everybody is, well, no streamer wants it to ever go anywhere else. It's a subscription model. Yeah. We want, this is only available here. So I think what we're, what we're looking at is going, wow, like the business changed. What, what is it? How do you figure it out? It's the wild, wild west to a degree. And I think there are some um, streamers who got it figured out at least the best that it can be but it will never be what it was. What it was. And, right. and I think just like with videos, we it took a long time to go, maybe I should stop making horseshoes because they're driving cars around and there needs to be tires, mm -hmm. right? There's a, it's a long way to look at it, how you, the way content is valued. So, what is that? That's just a, what I'm telling you is just a realization I had recently. Maybe, you know, I've been so involved and so in the marketing and everything with shooting stars and, and the edit right up until it came out that I wasn't even really on the page. But then when I've been having some conversations, it's like, I don't quite understand the answer yet or what it means, you know? So to, to answer Quest question, the world is not my oyster. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think the world is an oyster for anybody right now because we don't know. The opportunities are shrinking, right? There's a statistic mm. in the in the DGA mm -hmm. that of every member that makes a feature film, 85% only make one. Yeah. This is before any of this, right? So that tells you how difficult it is to make a feature and how slim the opportunities are. 85% of the union makes one feature film yeah. and not another one. It's the same. So, it's almost the same on the SAG side as well, like on our side. Yeah. It's like you have your, your Tom Cruises or whatever, but then right. the other 90% is you know people struggling to get commercials or whatever you know that's why i be saying amir you right. gotta keep your ear to the street street because if you keep it in the bubble you're gonna think it's sweet but nah it's it's people are out in la shit is changing and it's you feel it yeah it, it's huh. tough you know but it's interesting right because that's the thing the thing about the business even if you, once you're in it for a long time for me is that every day there's the opportunity for possibility right and, and that can that can that can keep your motivation flowing. It can keep your you wake up every morning, there's a possibility of writing that script or moving forward. But I think that what we have to look at are great examples of the business aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at 
Amir and how he does things, how we look at Tyra Perry and he does things, uh, Lee Daniels, these guys who have uh, Kenya Barris, these guys who have taken their talent, understood how it works in business and how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I've always been leaning more towards the artist side, right? And having reps and agents and things and just happy to be able to be creative. Because at some point, as a creative, you go, man, I couldn't live uh, any other way. Like, I couldn't have another job, you know what I mean? And and that satisfaction of when something that you create connects to your audience, right? But I think that because of the way that the world and the technology is moving, it's more of a, there needs to be more of a focus on understanding the business, not even just from a Hollywood perspective, but from a Wall Street perspective. Mm. You know how content is being valued, how the the business model of of subscriptions are different. Yeah, how the streaming companies are kind of collapsing into one another, like with Max becoming HBO becoming Max and right. Showtime going collapsing into Paramount, and it just reminds me a lot of what happened with major labels, like when you it's... said Napster moment. It it mm-hmm. reminds me of the same thing that happened with labels. Well, sir, thank you. This is long overdue. Um, the next time we're in Atlanta together, uh-huh. I'll I'll treat you to to, to Follies. Or <laughs> he's in LA. He's in LA. I said the no next time we're in I Atlanta. Hop, okay. I'll hop on a plane though. No problem. Okay. okay. There you go. Yeah, LA don't count. Is you know. <laughs> no, nah, man. I, I just wanted to say, Chris, I really just appreciate your work, man. And I love the way just to watch how you is you a lot of the uh directors I follow, uh my guy Seath Man, who I'm sure you know Seath. Oh, um yeah, Seath. Yeah, the YC, uh, Anthony Hemingway. Um, just, oh, uh, Anthony like, Hemingway. Yeah, just a lot of y'all brothers, man. I'm just really proud to see y'all, like, you know, transition and just keep working, man. And I just love what y'all do. So, respect. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. Thank Absolutely. you, man. Respect. Absolutely. That's what's up. Uh, on behalf of uh, Sugar Steve and I'm Pay Bill and Fontigolo and Lightyear and the great Chris Robinson. Man. I love your work. I love your songs that you do with your brother Rich <laughs> and all the Vicks formula. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's dope. That was for Dustin. I just wanted to show it on the YouTube. There we go. That's, That's right. We are on YouTube now. Damn. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. Dope. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, I still don't know how that works for us. We're still on our soft lunch. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is great Chris Robinson, and uh, we'll see you on the next go round, y'all. Peace. My brother. Peace. Hey. Thank y'all. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.